When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, for Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio, for today's podcast. This is going to be me wrapping up my 31 days of horror. That's right. I'm actually ending this thing on a high note. I just want to say thank you again for letting me do this through the whole entire month. I'm glad that you guys enjoyed the recommendations that I actually gave you guys for the 31 days of horror. And I'm actually ending this on a Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Then I'm doing a Carrie 2 The Revenge review, followed by The Craft review. Then my thoughts on Freddy vs. Jason. That's actually a, something that one of my friends wanted me to cover. Then what is the highest grossome horror movie of all time? And that's actually sent in from one of the people that I actually interviewed over a couple of weeks ago. And that is none other than the director of One Must Survive. So... I'm going to be answering his question, then followed by one of my other friends that sent in another question, what are my top three horror movies, and then my most impactful horror movies that that I found very impactful in my childhood. So, with further ado, let's go on ahead and get into this thing. So, as I mentioned before, I'm doing a Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas review, and basically it covers a character named Jack Skeleton. And Jack Skeleton gets tired of Halloween and discovers Christmas and makes his own spooky twist. And what I love about this movie is the fact that you have a character that is so real that even we can actually relate to this character. Because we may not hop out of the pumpkin patch or anything like that. But when you're dealing with the fact that you're doing the same repetitive stuff over and over again, even though we're not doing it once a year, we're doing it every single day. This character gets tired of doing the same thing. He's questioning his own life, wondering if there's more to life than just Halloween. And then also, too, he the only person that actually understands him in this town is a woman named Sally. And Sally is actually part of Dr. Frankenstein's experiment and everything else, too. And I actually like that aspect to it in a stop animation kind of way is you actually have a different spin on the Dr. Frankenstein character and how villainous he is in this movie but anyways I love the animation for this we don't see animation like this anymore we see more of that CGI Pixar type of deal and what I like about it is the stop clay animation and then also to the gothic look of this movie is just fantastic you can definitely tell that tim burton had his hands in this movie in a lot of ways just the way that the direction of it was the gothic feel to it and matter of fact i forgot there's actually a certain style that he actually films his movies like batman returns uh, and batman and then not only that but even if you look at edward scissorhands and then you look at sleepy hollow i forgot the type of uh, direction that the way he actually films I forgot the way it's actually co- what it's actually called but I always love that dark feel to a certain movie that he actually directs before he started doing all the CGI stuff but I love the nightmare before Christmas I love the soundtrack for the revisited I covered that a little bit also too when when I did my 
whole entire favorite songs and soundtracks and everything else. So I hope that you guys check out that episode for that. But as far as the Nightmare Before Christmas goes, Jack Skeleton is questioning his own authority, questioning is there's more to life. And then he winds up going to going into the woods and he opens up the door in this tree. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the implant on the tree is actually a Christmas tree. He goes down to the Christmas tree. He discovers Christmas. And he sees that these elves are spreading joy, spreading happiness throughout the neighborhoods in Christmas. And he's thinking to himself, what's this? What's that? Oh my God, I can actually do what Santa is doing. So basically he found a new thing that he can actually celebrate. And he wants to celebrate with the town of Halloween. And of course, everybody thinks that he's losing his mind. He doesn't, nobody really understands him. Sally actually understands him through uh, and falls in love with who he is rather than what he is. And that's the beautiful aspect of it is the fact that she understands him from his perspective. And he was bit, that's all he wants is someone to also love him and also respect him and don't just treat him as this guy that just shows up once a year during Halloween. And that's it. He wants to be respected as someone that can be remembered for something. And another thing too is the fact when he sees these elves and he's spreading joy and he thinks that he can do this and everything, he sees Santa Claus for the very first time and he's picking up on certain things that Santa is doing. So he winds up doing the same thing that Santa is doing. But later on, his whole entire aspect is dark and twisted, especially when you look at the shrunken heads that's inside somebody's uh, Christmas present and stuff like that. We And let me just say that, this, for... For that side of Halloween, on that Halloween side of town, they're used to that. They're used to the whole entire spookiness. They're used to that. And that aspect, they can actually celebrate that. And that actually brings them joy in that kind of aspect. But for us, it's scary as hell for us because we can't relate to it. We're not used to that or anything like that. So, of course, a shrunken head would actually scare the living daylights out of us versus someone in that town that's actually used to it and be happy with it. We wouldn't be happy with it. Not only that, but the stuff that he actually does to Santa in his own mind. I even said this when I'm, when I'm doing a review and everything, whenever it comes down to villains. And even I don't even consider Jack a villain at all. He's just a guy that's misunderstood. And he's thinking that he's doing the right thing, but he's really not doing the right thing. Especially the stuff that he does to Santa and everything too. And Santa gets kidnapped. He goes down into... Where the boogeyman is, Jack has to also go on ahead and try to save him because he realizes later on what he's doing is wrong. And he's not really spreading joy like he thought he was. He's actually spreading horror among other people. And that's not something he wants, so he winds up getting Santa back again. Santa winds up helping him and stuff like that. And then together they try and spread joy again. And to me, I think this movie is a great movie whenever you're dealing with certain issues and stuff like that when you are questioning your own life in general and stuff like that and also to trying to get when you get tired of doing the same repetitive stuff over and over again it can get definitely burn you out to the point where you're actually questioning your own integrity integrity where you're like okay there's got to be more to life than what I'm doing and that's exactly how Jack actually felt and I love that they actually put that into that kind of character for this stop animation type of style and you know what I wish they would actually go back to this kind of style or just pins 
and drawing paper and stuff like that, the kind that I used to grow up with. But we live in a time and day where we don't have that anymore. Now it's all with Pixar animation and then also too, you have other animation studios now. So I think those days are long gone. But if you're looking for a classic 1994 movie from Tim Burton, check out Nightmare Before Christmas. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Now I'm going to do my review for Carrie 2, The Revenge. So this is a sequel to the very first Stephen King movie and book, Carrie, of course. But there's no, get this, there's actually no novel to this uh, to this thing. So this thing is its own entity and everything. So therefore they can actually do a lot of groundwork with this. There is a lot of flashbacks to the original Carrie and stuff like that. And they, it even has the original teacher in in the original Carrie movie in this movie. And I thought that was actually pretty cool because she actually plays a key role in this thing where it's like, okay, I dealt with a kid that's just like this. This girl is being bullied just like Carrie was being bullied. So I'm going to try and help her the best way I know I can before her powers actually go haywire because she knows what to look for because Carrie went through the same stuff. Matter of fact... Too at the very beginning, we can see her powers kind of go, uh, kind of going a little bit and stuff like that. Especially the stuff that what this plot is actually about is about these jocks who winds up sleeping with a bunch of girls. They write down how many girls they actually sleep with and everything, and then they're done with them. That's that's pretty much it. They're done with the girls and everything, and they don't, they deny that they even slept with them. And then next thing you know, with uh, the girl Rachel, her friend jumps off of a building. And she realizes that she lost her best friend. And the jocks are the ones who, as a matter of fact, the guy who plays on Home Improvement is even in this. Not Jonathan Taylor Thomas, but the blonde-haired kid is in this movie. And he, she realizes that these are the jocks that did something to her to make her kill herself later on. Because she's actually a um, one of those people that actually... De- develops film and stuff like that during that time. You can actually develop film... And stuff like that. And you can give the person back their pictures. But. You know. Like I said. This movie is really good. It does have a couple. That 90's feel to it. Where some of it is a little bit outdated. Some of the dialogue is a little outdated. But overall. Carrie's a good movie to watch. In a certain aspect. If you're. If there's nothing else on or anything like that. And if you just want to put something scary on. Carrie 2 The Revenge is really good. It actually has a point to it. And stuff like that, too, because of the fact that she's being bullied. Not only is she being bullied, but her powers do get get haywired just like Carrie does. You definitely do see a sense of what happens to her and everything in the movie, too. She does fall in love with the guy as well. And all these characters are not doesn't have layers to them. So if you're expecting a lot of layers to these characters, you're not going to get that. These are just very paint-by-the-numbers type of characters. But overall, it's an enjoyable movie. And then when she gets her powers, you can see that rose tattoo with the thorns going all the way down her arm. I thought that was an actual cool aspect of it and everything to where we can actually see a different type of carry that we got from the first carry movie. But let's just say some of those death scenes were very brutal in this movie, but nothing compares to carry one because carry one is such an iconic movie and such a classic you can't really compare the two. It's like comparing apples to oranges. It's just, a, Carrie 1 is just a classic. It's a good movie. 
by Stephen King. The book, I haven't read the book or anything like that. But as far as a movie goes, the original, not the remake, is a good movie. So check out Carrie 1 if you want to, or check out Carrie 2, The Revenge. And let me know what you guys think about that. Now I'm going to talk about The Craft. And The Craft is about this girl who goes into a new... Uh, when a new girl arrives into a new school, she winds up being friends with three witches. So basically, you have this new girl, like I said before. She winds up becoming friends with these three girls at the school. And it's actually one of those Catholic schools of all places and everything. And she winds up becoming friends with them. And she doesn't realize that she's in a cult. She doesn't realize that she's in a coven, witch's coven. And until like later on when she's practicing the witchcraft and stuff like that, she doesn't really fully understand what's actually going on in a sense because of the fact that I still remember her going to that bookstore and she grabs a book and then she winds up doing a spell. They wind up doing a spell on one of the guys that she likes and she and that guy winds up falling in love with her. And then this other girl gets bullied from one of the popular girls and they cast a hex on her to make her lose her hair. There's also another thing with Nev Campbell's character where she has a rash that's breaking out on her arm. Another popular girl winds up getting a hex on her where this bubbly effect where she's actually getting that girl's skin disease. And now she's having to, now she knows what she's going through because of the fact that she has that rash on her. And I thought that this movie was really good for the, for the 90s. They're actually remaking this movie. I feel like if they did something different rather than the same taint by the numbers type of remake, this movie could be really good. But as for the 90s, as far as it sit in the 90s, I, I really enjoy the craft. And a matter of fact, you know, I actually thought that this movie was very thought out, very, very well done. And yes, there is some cheesiness from the from the lines and stuff like that, too. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of outdated in a sense. But in another aspect, though, too, it's a good movie if you're into, like, witches and witches' covens, stuff like that. And then the chemistry between the three witches is really good, too. So the other witches are, is really good. If you are interested in seeing the craft, I strongly recommend this movie. Because of the heart aspect to it. Because of the fact that you have this girl trying to fit into a school system. And then she winds up becoming friends with the witch's coven over there. And then she realizes too that the girl that... The, one of the girls that she's friends with is actually backstabbing her too. And now she's trying to go after the go after her for backstabbing her and stuff like that. And even after the guy that she's that's in love with her. So I like that aspect as well because it does add a little bit of drama to that whole entire thing. But if you haven't seen The Craft, I, sh I think that you guys will have a good time watching this movie. I think you guys will love it. And then now I'm going to drop down to my thoughts on Freddy vs. Jason. Now, I remember in 2003, I was excited for this movie because don't forget when the Friday 13th, the final 13th chapter actually came out. We saw at the very end of it where Freddy goes on ahead and grabs Jason's mask and pulls it down with him where he's in hell. So I wanted to see that kind of horror element to where they're in hell together and they're having to fight each other. That's what I thought it was going to be. And instead we got the exact opposite of what I thought it was going to be. And I'm okay with if my theories don't measure out to what Hollywood is going to be making. Let me just tell you this. 
I'm not a writer. People in Hollywood, they have a lot more creativeness than what I probably do. But as far as creativeness goes and stuff like that, I thought they were going to go in that direction. But they went into a whole different direction where people in on Elm Street actually forgot about Freddy. And therefore, he had to resurrect Jason, who's been sleeping forever. And to try and scare and put fear back into the kids in Elm Street. So that way people can remember who Freddy actually is. And Fre- and Jason's just a puppet on Freddy's string for a while. And then that's when everything goes down. But as far as a face-off movie against, against them and everything. I really wanted more from this movie. Like it does have some cheesiness. It is by directed by John Woo. Which is actually one of my favorite uh, action directors from... The face-off movie. But they made it too comical. They made the movie a whole lot more comical than scary. And I wanted more scary than comical. And I get the fact that throughout the years, Freddy's character changed into this comedian type of character. And I feel like that if you went with a little bit more layers to Freddy, to back whenever he did the very first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, this thing would have been brutal. It would have been darker. It would have been a whole lot scarier than what they were trying to do. I was kind of let down in a way because of the fact that my expectations were so high. And this was a face-off movie, just like an Alien vs. Predator type of deal. And instead, I got where Jason was just a puppet on Freddy's strings. And that was all I got from it. I wanted so much more. I wanted so much meat on that bone to make it good. And it just didn't deliver for me. I remember being let down a little bit by it. The soundtrack itself... Two, some of the stuff that they actually chose for the soundtrack didn't really fit in with the soundtrack at all. And some of the actors even said themselves that the soundtrack is really good. For me, none of that stuff actually worked unless you count the Slipknot song that's actually on the soundtrack itself. Nino was on there, which is an okay song, an okay band with an okay song, but nothing really to write home about. But as a movie as a whole... If you're expecting a lot more blood and guts and gore, you're not going to get that until like the final climax of it. And by that time and everything, it's too late to actually have this face-off that you really want. To me, it would have been a whole lot more fun to have them up in in hell fighting off against each other or something along those lines than having where these kids forgot about Freddy and then Freddy having to put fear back in those kids so that way they they can remember him. To me, that's not really that scary. We've seen this thing over and over again with all the other Elm Street films and stuff like that, and it just doesn't flow well. But, like I said, that's just my whole entire take on it. If you guys love Freddy vs. Jason and stuff like that, hey, more more power to y'all. Love what you love. Don't like it. If you don't like it, if you like it and everything, go for it. Don't go based off of me just because I don't like it. You know what? You, like I said, that's your prerogative. You love that movie? watch it but you know all movies are subjective now i'm going to talk about my highest grossing horror movie now whenever i first saw this i thought the village was the number one movie of the highest grossing one and i just want to say this it's chapter one with 327 million dollars now that's impressive with a 35 million dollar budget now Here's why it's actually the highest grossing. Number one, it's a remake, which is actually kind of unusual in a way because it's a remake 
of a 1990s miniseries, which is not even really an actual movie itself. It was on ABC. ABC, ABC is also owned by Disney. And at that time, for them to put out this kind of movie, it was scary for its time. Don't get me wrong. It scared the crap out of me. I was even scared to even go to the bathroom because I was scared that his hand would actually reach out and pull me down to the toilet or whatever. But let's just call it what it is. This was more grounded to what the book was actually about. It actually had some differences. Instead of it being in the 1960s, it was in the 1980s, which actually fits in really well. But aside from that, I remember when this movie was first announced and this other director was going to take take the reins on it before Andy, uh, Andy Marciati took over. And here's the thing. That director wanted to do it for $150 million. The studio told him, no, uh, we can actually do it for less because you want to go ahead and film it in New York. New York costs more money to film in New York, so they decided to part ways with that director. Then that's how we winded up getting Andy Muschietti to direct IT Chapter 1. But $35 million budget with a $327 million grossing, that is just fantastic. And right underneath that is also The Sixth Sense too, which is an M. Night Shamanai movie, which is a really good movie during its time. But I have to go with It Chapter 1. It Chapter 1 is one of my favorite movies of 2017. And I know I'm, people don't really, didn't really care for It Chapter 1 that much, but I loved it. I love the It Chapter 1 over It Chapter 2. But it is what it is. I'm going to just have to say it right then and there. This movie was fantastic when it was released. I remember going to see this movie twice. I loved what Bill Skarsgård did with the character. There was also two where everybody was really excited to see it on the big screen for the very first time. Because this is the first time since Tim Curry actually played, since Tim Curry played the character. And he was able to add something different to it. So that's just how I feel about that It Chapter 1 being the highest grossing movie of all time. Now I'm going to drop down to my top three horror movies. Now, I know that I'm sounding like a broken record. I know that I talked about this movie already. But my top three horror movies, The Crow, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and the very first Halloween starring Jimmy Lee Curtis. And... The Crow, I'm not going to go into my review again, why I love it so much, besides the fact that it has a killer soundtrack, the do- everything for me with that movie is just fantastically well done, perfectly well executed, Brandon Lee killed it in that role, no, uh, that's a bad pun, I'm so sorry, but he did great in that role, and nobody could actually see Brandon Lee, nobody else seeing them, seeing Brandon Lee play Eric Draven, and I really love what he did with that character. But if you want to know what I think of The Crow, check out the other night's podcast episode. I think you're going to enjoy what I have to say about The Crow, The Crown, the Crow soundtrack. I think you guys are going to like it. Then I'm going to drop down to A Nightmare on Elm Street. I already covered this as well with the gallons of blood, the way that everything was set up, the camera angles, the darkness of it, the texture of it. The way it was just shot in differently than what any other horror movie it was during that time. Wes Craven actually had to go in and do his whole entire practical effects. And there was also gallons of blood that they had to use to suck Johnny Depp into that into that whole entire bed scene. 
And you can even Google that whole entire information. And a matter of fact, there was even a couple of things on how this whole entire movie came to be was because of the fact that some people were actually dying in their seat asleep and everything. And that's how Wes Craven came up with the idea of doing A Nightmare on Elm Street. There's a lot more to that, but that's just me paraphrasing on how he came up with the idea for A Nightmare on Elm Street. But not only that, but New Line Cinema during that time was also a low-budget company. It's not as big as it is now. And now it's a huge company because of Wes Craven and because of what his team had done during that time. And now another movie that I want to talk about is Halloween. Halloween is a very good movie. I love the setup to where you don't actually see Michael. Well, you see Michael, but you don't see him actually walking and everything. It actually gives you a bird's eye view of in his perspective on how he walks and everything too. But it also shows the perspective of Jamie Lee Curtis's character whenever she sees him. And stuff like that. To me, the most haunting scene in that whole entire thing was when he's over there um, where, the, where, where the clothes are being hung up to dry. And then Lori is over there looking down. And she sees him for a split minute. And then, he wa- and then she looks away and then he's gone. And that's the beauty of what Michael Myers is. He was just the shape. There was no origin story to him. He was just the boogeyman that actually scared you at night. And he was an escape mental institu- from an escape mental institution. And that's what the whole entire movie was about. Not how Rob Zombie did it. But I can appreciate what Rob Zombie did for the remake. Because it did give us a little bit more layers to Michael Myers in a sense. But... You know, you can't go wrong with the old classic Halloween movie because of the fact that he is the shape. That's what the movie was based out of, was the shape. There was no origin story. There was nothing about him being a child, being bullied as a child, him killing pets or anything like that. It was just this guy on Halloween breaks out of prison and tries to go after Lori. And Lori winds up being his... This is not canon anymore. Winds up being his sister, but now it was just a rumor that it was his sister. So there's that. But still, I love the old uh, Halloween movie. Now, for my most impactful night uh, movies, is this the 1990s? It because it gave me nightmares. I mean, Tim Curry knocked that performance right out of the park. I felt like I was on the edge of my seat when I was 10 years old watching that for the very first time. I was scared to go to the bathroom. I was scared to shower. I was scared out of my mind with that movie because of the performance that Tim Curry did with Pennywise. And, you know, that movie used to haunt my dreams all the time. And for that to be my most impactful movie and everything, I have to give it up to Tim Curry in it in that It movie, all except um, part two of the second half of the miniseries, but in part one with the kids, that was the most scariest thing of all. And now I'm going to talk about, too, Jaws is also my other most impactful movie because of the fact it's real. It's real because of the fact there's still shark attacks going on on the beaches today. You have Brody who winds up telling the mirror that, hey, look, there's something going on in the water and everything, and the mirror doesn't believe him. Then a couple of townspeople finally got tired of people dying in the water because of a shark and then getting tired of the mayor trying to cover everything up. And then they go on their own quest to try and do the, do the right thing by killing this shark that's actually terrorizing the beach. And, you know, I remember 
you know, my grandfather playing Jaws with me in the swimming pool and everything where he would, would pretend he was Jaws and I would have to try and swim away from him and everything. I remember that. I also remember, too, the Jaws ride over at uh, Universal at that time. Now it's actually into Diagon Alley from Harry Potter. And I remember my grandfather sitting me right where Jaws popped up, popped up at and the boat tipping over and I'm sliding over and I'm panicking. But that was just a fun time and a fun experience for me to actually remember what this movie actually what this movie did to me as a kid. And it was even traumatizing me to even go in the water or anything like that because of the fact that there was a great white shark. And this also gave me light into studying sharks and marine biology and stuff like that to where I was actually in the library constantly checking out books about sharks. So, if you haven't seen Jaws or anything like that, I would strongly recommend that you guys check that out. Not only that, at the very beginning is the most horrifying thing, too, because you don't see anything at night other than this girl swimming in the ocean. And then you wind up seeing something grab her. Well, not something grab her, but she feels something on her leg. And then all of a sudden, she's pulled under and she dies. And you don't know what it was that was underneath that ocean floor that killed her until, like, later on in the movie. And it's a slow burn process of how this whole entire thing actually happens. And it adds a lot of stuff to this movie, especially in the 1970s. I forgot the actual year itself, but I know it is in the 1970s. It's way before I was born. But I still remember going over to my cousin Ann's house across the street from my aunt's house to borrow the movie over and over again to watch this movie. And that's why Jaws is my most impactful movie for horror movies was because of the because of those reasons of me being afraid to go into the water and I hope that you guys actually check out Jaws I know at one time it was on Netflix and they had all three Jaws movies on Netflix watch the very first one because that will probably scare their pants off of you especially with the practical effects with the shark and stuff like that and also too we don't actually get to see the shark until like the very end because of the whole entire mechanical issues with the shark so, that's going to be it for me tonight as far as the 31 Days of Horror goes and stuff like that. I'm going to have, I'm going to be doing some more movie news later on this week. I hope you guys stick around for that tomorrow because I have a lot that, to say about this casting news for Commissioner Gordon. And I'm going to get to that probably tomorrow because I want, I want this to be nothing but a news segment for tomorrow. So I'm saving that for tomorrow. So if you want to know what's, what I think about that, stay tuned for tomorrow. And until next time, bye-bye.